Welcome, you're listening to Otherwise, Wisdom from the Other, a variety podcast dedicated to empowering diverse communities living in Treaty 6 territory by sharing stories of their lived experiences. Welcome, and today is our first episode, and we're just going to talk and introduce ourselves and our podcast, and today I have with me in the studio a dynamic team of community organizers, artists, journalists, and just all around city lovers of Edmonton from diverse backgrounds. And so I will allow you to introduce yourselves, share with us who you are, what you do, and why otherwise. Um, my name is Megan Robinson Anagor. Middle name is E.G. Amaka, Megan E.G. Amaka Robinson Anagor. Um, Currently, I'm a caseworker with the Edmonton John Howard Society. Um, I'm also a research assistant with the University of Alberta Faculty of Extension, um, or I do research with high-risk and marginalized youth in Edmonton. Um, And I also have kind of like a passion project on the side, a side project called Generation Shift um, that I've been doing for a few years now, but it pretty much works with youth and um, marginalized youth um, and empowering them and giving them the tools to work towards social change and social justice. Um, So it started off as um, a diverse young women's empowerment conference um, and now it's sort of evolved into something that we think is more inclusive of the the entire uh, community. Um, So that's just a little bit of what I do, but yeah. And why otherwise? Why otherwise um, and why I'm involved? Um, Well, for me, I find that Otherwise, is important in order to bring other voices to the forefront, um, diverse voices as well. So as we all know here in this room, um, usually with the media, it's very, I find it's very limited. Um, so there's a certain story that's being told um, that I find does not include a lot of diverse and different voices. Um So I'm involved with Otherwise in order to bring diversity to the media pretty much um, and I think it's very important to include this diversity and these other perspectives and these other stories because um, there's a lot out there and it's very rich um, and I just find that we don't have the platforms to do that so we might as well create it ourselves so uh, my name is Karen Tang uh, in my own language which is Mandarin it's a Tang Keren and uh, I work in in health promotion um, I came few years ago to Edmonton to study this, uh, which means, you know, creating the conditions so that uh, people don't have to get sick, they stay healthy, and a lot of it has to do with building, you know, a strong community. And one of the projects I'm involved with uh, right now, it's it's in the thinking stage, was called Institute for Civic Engagement, and it's about mobilizing ethnocultural communities, racialized communities into more... Um, in, with active citizenry and you know how do you get involved and not just in politics but also in your community and advocating for yourself and your community and in fact it was in one of the earlier conversations that you know i connected with you Maureen Kay, and uh, about how can we how collaborate uh, in terms of moving this forward and that's where this podcast idea came about um we you know we're hearing so many things in the community and people sharing one of the 
one of the times that we organized with some of the community members, people talked about what civic engagement meant in their own language, what it meant in, in back home, in their home country, and how that experience may translate or may not translate to here. Uh, and as I was sitting there listening to these stories, I'm like, these stories gotta get out there. People need to hear it. Uh, it cannot just stay in this room. How do we get it out there? And you know, talk to the right people, and here we are. Right. So my name is. This is gonna be fun. <laughs> See if I can remember all of them. Morenike Eniola Omobonike Abeke Fatima Fumilola. And and in terms of what I do, I find that to be a really loaded question because I'm one of those people that just does a lot. So I think maybe it would be better over time to just peel back the onion on that one. And I'll just pick the one thing that I want to talk about that I do. I am the founder and president of the Ribbon Rouge Foundation. And the Ribbon Rouge Foundation uses arts to mobilize for positive social change. And so we do this by going into communities and using arts as a tool of community development and community building, and then using arts to generate funds as well to find socially just ways to prevent the spread of HIV and to look at health inequity and how we could close health uh, outcome gaps as related to HIV as well. And so, my connection with Otherwise comes through Ribbon Rouge as well because I find that in order to actually surface some of the issues that contribute to health inequity, there's a need for, as I like to say, for our consciousness to be raised. It's important to be in a room where you can tell your stories and you can hear other people saying the same thing and you can actually find common ground in that. and understand that your experience is shared even when it's an experience of oppression because what happens is we're really siloed and separated in a way that you experience things and just think it's just you and until you're in a room where your consciousness is raised do you understand that this is a thing of the system it's a moment where you see you might it's almost i think the analogy is like being fish in water and then you notice the water you actually notice this experience that's shared. And so for me, otherwise, is this tool for consciousness raising. It's a really powerful political tool where we say, how about we share these experiences and we raise your consciousness to them? And for me, it's also a really dialectical thing. So one of my names is Fatima because my dad's Muslim, my mom's Christian. And so I've always grown up in this family where there's these, there are these opposing ideologies that have decided to stay married. And I think that this is something that's desperately needed in our society. The need for people to be different and to still be able to listen to each other and to be able to listen to each other deeply, to be able to listen into the future, to be able to listen generatively. And so these are some of the deeper things that I hope that our podcast does. I hope our, our podcast brings people together in a way that raises our consciousness and allows us to listen across differences. And I think for me, that's that's what brought me here. That's what brought me to the Otherwise podcast. I have to follow that. 
my name is Jenna Nazirmulji. Um, I'm a university student studying biology and drama, which are two of my favorite things in the world. Um, I also work with Generation Shift um, in empowering youth, um, especially marginalized youth, uh, in creating um, kind of like a, an identity for themselves. Um, and I, and in addition to that, I also work with a organization called Sunia. Um, we put on the seminar on the United Nations and International Affairs every year um, for high school students. Um, and that kind of relates to, I guess, like why I really like otherwise, because a lot of the organizations that I work with do are about um, bringing different perspectives together and creating a better society and a better future and empowering youth to create that future um, for themselves. And I think otherwise creates a dialogue where you can bring in so many different perspectives, but more than that, you can understand where people are coming from um, and you can understand um, how they got to where they are and how we can work together to build this future that's full of love instead of fear. Um, and I really, really like that about otherwise. Um, I also think that uh, in like an increasingly interdependent world, it's more important now than ever to understand where people are coming from. Um, to understand where diverse perspectives are coming from, because inevitably we all have to work together at some point to build a future for ourselves. And I think otherwise is kind of the first step into allowing people who maybe don't get the opportunity to hear other stories, um, to hear the stories and to see where other people um, are from and to notice how really, how not different we are in our ways of living. Don't. Uh, my name is Ahmed Mahmoud Ali Abdi, but I go by Nomadic in the community. I'm currently Edmonton's Poet Laureate. Uh, I'm involved in a lot of different things, but mainly they root down to poetry. I've always felt we are all in the same uh, anthology. We're just on different pages and we all have our stories. And I think it's very valuable to share our stories because growing up, what I realized uh, being somebody whose English is their third language, is that your story is best told by you. Mm -hmm. uh, there are 7 billion people on this planet. Nobody thinks the way you do. Nobody's built the same way you are genetically, emotionally, chemically. Therefore, everything you produce, whether it's creatively, scientifically, is original in its own self. And I value that. There is nowadays, there is too much of, uh, I want to be like Mike or, you know, everybody wants to be like somebody else, but nobody wants to be themselves. And so for me, otherwise, is an opportunity just to speak my story and maybe influence somebody else to speak their story. Because uh, when I first started poetry, I did it as a form of rebellion. And then somehow, years later, one of my poems was picked up and taught in a refugee camp in Kenya uh, called The Dab. And I don't know how my poem got out there and why it's being taught out there, but it reminded me that when you do something you love, you don't know who you're going to affect. And so otherwise is that opportunity for me to share stories and provide an opportunity for others to share their stories as well so that we can build a better understanding of what Edmonton is because there are a lot of stories here. Edmonton is known as the gathering place and it's important that we gather our stories and share them uh, because uh, Indigenous elders said this to me in a story, uh, said, uh, we don't inherit anything, we borrow it for our grandchildren. That mentality is not, it's mine. It's more like I'm taking care of something. And I think the same way with stories. There, um, we got to be very careful on how we are sharing stories and, and who is sharing these stories because our perspectives are shaped by our experiences and nobody experiences what we do. So that's what brought me on here. And I'm really excited. 
as well to hear uh, your stories and we're all in different parts of the community but somehow always come together through arts or civic engagement uh, yeah so I'm just I'm just excited for this it's incredible so it'd be good to just have a general conversation and so let's just talk a little bit now about what what our Edmonton stories are how how you got here how your family got here arrived here and what I think we already talked a little bit about what otherwise why we're here but maybe even just expand a little bit about what otherwise means to you um yeah and how we got that name okay um well I was born in Edmonton born and raised in Edmonton my mom is from a small island in the Caribbean named Grenada um, and my dad is from Nigeria. Um, they both came to Edmonton as international students. I wondered about your name because you have an yeah. Igbo name. Yeah, my middle name. Yeah. Yeah. I don't actually know what it means. I think you it means adore. journey or pearl. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, but yeah, so they met at the U of A as international students. Um, and my mom actually, she came with just her dad. Um, he was the police chief in Grenada and, um, there was a revolution at the time and they were fleeing. So they came together, her siblings, actually, some went to Toronto, some ended up coming to Edmonton and, uh, my dad came by himself. Um, so that's how I got here. So one of the themes actually of Generation Shift is the power of language. Um, so my background is in psychology and I've always been very interested in the mind and how our perceptions shape our experiences. Um, and also that comes in with words and language. Um, so for me, otherwise, is really just getting into conversation and dialogue and the power of language. And that could be from stories, that could be from spoken word, um, that could be from creative writing, that could be from expression. Um, but I also find in this day and age that language is very important, not even just our vocabulary, uh, but the stories that we're telling the word, certain words that we're deciding to use when we're speaking to people. Some can be very harmful. Some of them could be empowering. Some of them could be engaging. Um, but language really sets the idea of what you're trying to present. Um, and I find that's very important in this day and, day and age, especially with how divisive the politics are right now. Um, so that's what I guess I would say otherwise is for me, is just bringing that language and dialogue and conversation is really important and the energy behind language and the intentions and that sort of thing. So. I think this is a very valuable point because we're taught growing up, sticks and stones may break by bones, but words will never hurt me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> words have so words much power. Everything. They're the initiation of war or peace and so yeah. extremely right. Mm-hmm. And I really like the other day when you pulled up the, def- the definition of this whole just sort of bigger concept of orality. Yeah. So if you want to even kind of read that mm-hmm. out. I think that'd be kind of cool too. I'm gonna have to break it down. Yeah. Um, and uh, so even in thinking about our, the name of this project and this podcast, I think I think we all talked about our motivation for bringing alternative stories, alternative voices. Uh, I mean, they're not alternative for us, but it may be in sort of compared to the mainstream. But bring them to the fore and. Uh, that's why we kind of initially came up with, you know, the other, the voices of the other. Uh, but unfortunately, they get, there's so many podcasts out there every single day. Um, and I'm kind of laying out otherwise, to sort of play on the word about the wisdom from, you know, 
the people you may you may see us other people, uh, but really mm-hmm. to demonstrate that we're really the same. Than everybody else, we have people who are wise. There, are, there are others. Usually, um, we are in a, especially in. Um, so you use the word interconnectedness, if I'm not mistaken. I learned through social psychology that people in Japan are way more interdependent, mm-hmm. whereas here we are just dependent. Right when you're 18, you leave home, yeah. and they ask, "Who are you?" As a Canadian, you say, "I'm my car, I'm whatever." But in yeah. Japan, people say, "I'm my community, I'm my mm-hmm. church, I'm mm-hmm. my family." It's more of that, and so that's where the otherwise comes in. And, and that's probably true for a lot of cultures mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they used to say it takes a village to raise a child. Where's the village now, right? Mm-hmm. How is a child? And so language is important in that, and so. We're talking about the orality uh, of it, and that the the definition is uh, orality is thought and verbal expression in societies where the technologies of literacy, especially writing and print, are unfamiliar to most of the population. The study of orality is closely allied to the study of oral tradition. However, it has broader implications, implicitly touching every aspect of the economics, politics, institutional development, and human development of oral societies. The study of orality has important implications for international development, especially as it relates to the goal of eradicating poverty, as well as to the process of globalization. So that a lot of that stuff that is said there is mm-hmm. what we say broadly speaking, and we want to really cover those and touches on all of our goals and motivations and what we do. That's yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Correct, because as somebody who was born in Somalia, moved to Italy then came to Canada, Edmonton, Alberta, to be exact. It was a huge <laughs> transitional shift. Mm-hmm. And the main thing that changes when you first move is the language. Mm-hmm. And so you have to relearn the language. And for me, at first, it was challenging. And that's why I focused extra heavily. And I, I say the joke all the time. I say, shout out to the Maya Angelou and Tupac diet that made my flow smooth. Because it no longer matters that I used to be verbally constipated. These days, I have regular valve movements and effortlessly pass class. Yes. So language has become something that I've been using to battle people. Yes. Because language is important. You can change how somebody feels or views you by how you speak. 100%. I think even knowledge is dependent on language. So to a certain extent, I think that you generate knowledge about things by language. So, for example, I'm involved, there's a lot of, I guess there's this new, not really new, but relatively new trend around social innovation, around the most complex, uh, most, you know, intransigent world problems and how can you innovate socially to address them. But there's this structure, collective impact, where you bring a bunch of stakeholders and they work on complex problems mm-hmm. it's a really long example but anyways mm-hmm. within collective impact there are words that are used to describe the, the principles of collective impact mm-hmm. so one one way to see the, the the organization of collective impact is to think of it at think of the middle of it as a backbone and but some in some literature it's described as a container for deep change now, the way you then think about how these two things are organized changes vastly. If you call something a container for deep change, this is a place where things bump against each other and change happens. But if you think of it as backbone, is this really rigid structure that then shapes my point is <laughs> the words you choose to use, I think determine how you see the world, how knowledge is generated, how knowledge turns into wisdom. Mm-hmm. I need to come up with a better example of how to demonstrate <laughs> that. That's the point. I have a question for you, Jenna. Um, I, uh, I grew up with a lot of friends who speak uh, Urdu and Gujarati and all these different things. And there's a lot of similarities, like butaf means snow in your language, I'm assuming. And Gadi, we say Gadi as well. And so 
Uh, I know there's a lot of uh, people that come from East India and live in Tanzania. Is that where your family is from? Oh, yeah. Um, so, no, my family's actually not from Tanzania. Uh, my mom's from Kenya and my dad's from Uganda. Um, but our whole community is kind of from East Africa, so also Tanzania mm. included. Um, yeah, I'd, I I was born in Edmonton. I've grown up here my whole life. Um, but I guess it's just been interesting because um, our communities are very... I feel like I've been a part of like a lot of different communities, and I never learned my language. Like, I... Like, um, when my parents came to Canada, they wanted to practice their English. So mm. when they had my brother and I, um, we only spoke English they in the house. They used you? Yeah, basically. <laughs> I was used for my language. Um, but we only spoke English in the house. Um, and I've, I've even found that there's been a disconnect um, from, like, my grandparents and me because they only speak Gujarati um, or they only speak uh, Kachi. And I can't communicate with them in that way. So I have to mm. try and communicate with them. Um and it's just, it's hard because then it's hard to, like, hear their stories and, like, where they mm. come from. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's been interesting because I also find that in different communities that you live in, um, I think that you value different things. Mm. Um, and I, so I know that when I, like, for example, when I go to my mosque um, and I talk to my friends there, it's the conversations are completely different mm. from when I go to my university and I talk to friends from like my high school or just from the different organizations that I'm from. And I think it's really interesting how um, how your background and the people that you're with and their backgrounds can shape that conversation being had mm-hmm. and that language that you use. This is another thing to whole unpack another episode some other time. <laughs> so stay tuned. But how has it been considering that you are from East India and you don't speak your language? Because I know when I went to Somalia, they say you look like you've never left, but as soon as you speak, you, we know you're not from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does that? How does how does that shape your Edmonton story? How has that been being somebody who's an Edmontonian, <laughs> but at the same time you have this background, which you are as well East Indian? How has that been? Yeah, it's it's actually it's interesting because I honestly I sometimes I just don't feel like I really fit in anywhere. Um, <laughs> it's like yeah, I just so even with my friends, like I have friends from my school are also from India um, and they can easily speak their, in their language to each other um, and they can talk about their cultural values and that kind of thing um, and I just never grew up with that so I try to relate but really the only thing I really know is Bollywood movies and our food um, and that's about it um, and so it's just I felt yeah I feel like there's like a huge disconnect from like um, being a part of these different communities I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle um, that I never like really belong to like one specific yeah. community which is mm-hmm. interstitial yeah. interstitial yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, that's an sure. experience that's shared by a lot of uh, oh yeah not, not just us but I hear it all the time mm-hmm. about immigrant kids I like yeah. to call it uh, lost in translation <laughs> literally you're trying to get your point across but you're between two different communities you know yeah. and so you're lost in translation yeah, yeah I think what you just said re- really resonates with a lot of people, including myself, and probably a lot of us in this room. And yeah. it's a story I, I, I commonly hear. You know, I think now I'm proud to say I, I, I know at least four languages fairly well. And, uh, and I can't imagine when I first moved here, um, when I was 11, I immigrated from China. I was born there. And then I immigrated to the U.S. and growing up in a very, very white town. Mm-hmm. Uh, my graduating class of 300 people, I think I was one of two Chinese kids. And then there was a picture of us, I remember, there's five of us, two Chinese, you know, one Korean, one Indian. Um, and I think um, 
that those four of four people plus like one other black kid they were like the only people of color in my whole grade um and that was the environment i grew up with and i think i didn't really um you know for a long time i was very ashamed of my language i was very ashamed of my culture and i think that's probably true for a lot of kids too like you don't want to speak it um you know fortunately my at home my mom gave me a lot of homework and try to kind of keep up my my language, my Chinese, I really resented it at the time. But now I really appreciate that because I feel like I retained, you know, a part of me uh, that allows me to cross over between worlds very fluidly. And that's become yeah. a huge asset, you know, professionally and just, you know, community-wise. And now I have a daughter and I see her not exactly white. So she's biracial, my husband's white. I don't see her exactly as white, but I... I'm still trying to desperately figure out how do you maintain that level of identity um, and for her to keep that language component, keep that cultural component. Mm-hmm. And I will continue to explore that. Um, but I don't want her to go through what I went through. I want her to be proud of being biracial. I want her to be proud of her Chinese heritage. Um, and, you know, like lots of people... You know, lots of the aunties will kind of give you advice. Just keep talking to her in Chinese. Just keep talking to her. And that's hard. And that's really hard. And I think, uh, you know, as any parent, you know, like a multiracial back, uh, family would know, you can try. But then when you, when your kid is out there in the mm-hmm. real world, mm-hmm. and when she's like exposed to all of these influences, um, how you keep that culture mm-hmm. is going to be up to her. Mm-hmm. I can I can so relate to that. So I'm Nigerian and now also Canadian and I got here I guess now fifteen years ago. <laughs> it's been a while. And I suppose I my family is a weird one. We all left when we were fifteen, we were all allowed to explore the world and I chose England and realized how expensive it was, so then I did some research and ended up in Canada, of all places, mm-hmm. Edmonton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you love cold. Right? Because I just love pain and suffering and cold. <laughs> but I've grown to love Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And the thing about identity, for me, it's it's a really confusing thing. Um, because now that I've been here this long, I am, I'm Canadian, but I'm not quite Canadian in that when someone asks where are you from, if you say if I say Canada, I get like twelve more questions. No, where are you? Where really are you really, from? really, 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 really from? Yeah. Right? And then people go about trying to put out bills to ensure that in case you miss the memo, you might be a second class citizen, mm-hmm. right? Where systemically, in case you miss the, in case all you know your interactions in, in this society. Did not remind you that you're not completely Canadian. Mm-hmm. Let's put, let's attempt to now put a bill to ensure that you remember second that class. your second class, right? But then when I really think about it, even the construct of Nigeria is an abstraction. So even the identity that I so desperately want to hold on to, as authentic as I was born into this country, Nigeria itself was a thing that was constructed. It's an abstraction, like a bunch of empires broken up and put back together into this thing that was called a country by colonization, right? Mm -hmm. And so even that in itself is a really complex identity to try to hold. 
when I go back to Nigeria, I'm not quite Nigerian anymore. <laughs> as desperately as I try, I try so hard to be Nigerian. Like, I really want to speak my language fluently, and I really want to keep my accent, and I really want to blend in. But they figure it out. They find me out very quickly. Yeah. And, and so it's this weird thing where you're constantly bending your mind to fit in. And you know what? That in itself is a skill. And so identity, that's a whole other kettle of things. You know what's so crazy about that is um, I, I, was, I was, like I said, I was born in Somalia, moved to Italy when I was four, and then came to Canada when I was eight. And so for me, I didn't know who I identify with uh, when we got when we moved to Edmonton. First, my mom says when you're at home, you only speak Somali. You can't mm. speak anything else to me. When you're outside of our home, you can speak whatever you'd like. Mm. They knew I was going to lose the Italian, mm. right? But at the same time, I didn't quite feel Somali because in in reality, as human beings, we are what we consume. The environment we live in is who we are. So when I went back to Somalia in 2013. And uh, exactly what I said earlier, people looked at me, they're like, oh, you look like you've never left. Mm. But as soon as you speak, we know you're not from here, <laughs> yeah. right? And they're othering me. My own country's mm-hmm. othering me. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And then just a little while ago, I think it was like maybe a year or so ago, I did this. Uh, in, in hindsight, it was a bad idea because now they can sell my genetics. But I did the Ancestry.com thing. Mm-hmm. And I found out that I was only 46% Somali. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like 18. I'm that. like, yo, trust me, you're going to find out. I'm like 18%. Uh, North African, 36% wow. Middle Eastern, 2% Nigerian, 2% Senegalese. <laughs> like, I'm all over the place. And I'm like, who am I? And if it goes back to us human beings, we are humans, period, right? Yeah, yeah, these cultures, these languages, <laughs> these shape our views, right? Because that's what it is, language. Because whatever you're getting information, where other sources come from, mm-hmm. the language you use, the understanding you have puts context to the words you're mm-hmm. hearing, right? Mm-hmm. Words are as valuable as the one that gives the meaning. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily who's speaking it, it's who's receiving that message and why that message means something to them. And so that is why language has been so important to me. Now, I try to look for uh, identities that are weird, like, oh, you watch anime? I will, oh, what's what about anime? That's identity now. We belong because I, I no longer look for differences. I look for inclusion. And as an Edmontonian, there are so many of us. And I think one thing I really like about Edmonton is I know it's cold, but it's a community. It's mm-hmm. a big family. It's an extended family. You know somebody who knows somebody. Mm-hmm. There's only one connection between you and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really love about it. It has that community vibe and people are willing to grow. And, and I and think... the cold brings us to Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Cold it, forces yeah, you know what? Rooms. You get othered in your home country. I get other here too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because people don't... People tell me all the time, oh, well, you're not really Chinese. They're kind of half joking and half... Serious. They look at my baby like, oh, remember the one with the white baby? I'm like, you know, I call people out on it all the time. But um, you know what? Then this is kind of my my conclusion is that I think as an Edmontonian, as a Canadian, we're just a mishmash of the places we've been, you know, where we're from and our experiences. And that's what being an Edmontonian means to me. It's just taking that strength of where you come from and putting into something that become Edmonton. Mm -hmm. Not saying... Um, that we're going to bring who we are to Edmonton. No, who we are is important mm-hmm. because that gives context to who we're going to become, mm-hmm. right? Bob Marley says, how do you know where you're going if you don't know where you're coming from? Mm-hmm. And so that's the idea of Edmonton. We're all Edmontonians. I always say I'm a proud Albertan. I'm a proud Edmontonian. They're like, oh, you're from Somalia. But it doesn't matter. This is where I am now, mm-hmm. right? I am Somali, but at the same time, 
this is what sustains me. So uh, you you think you have it bad? Yeah. My daughter is half Filipina, yeah, uh, no quarter Filipina, quarter Vietnamese, and half Somali. I take her places, and people say, "Where did you steal that Chinese baby from?" <laughs> My own people, and then other people will look at me at Costco and see if I'm stealing somebody else. So I completely feel you, and even with the language and identity, who is she going to identify as? I'm always like, I have this fear that I'm always going to be mistaken as the nanny, yeah. but I don't, I don't feel that's like that. No, it's yeah. a, it's a, that's again reshaping. And I think it's important because ignorance comes from the lack of understanding. Yeah, yeah. And as long as we tell our stories, uh, you know, I will change it. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for pitching in. I, I chuckle and I laugh at these things that are really serious. But not really what you're saying. It's more just the bluntness of a lot of... A lot of so, our, our communities are the ones that are blunt. Everybody <laughs> yeah, else no, is we all laugh about it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> just really blunt. And... So just bringing it in, I just, I guess we have a lot to share and I just really look forward to our conversations as we, you know, almost poke the hornet's nest with some of these conversations we're going to go into with otherwise podcasts and really bring stories from different cultures and contexts and have people tell our own stories. And that in itself is an act of social justice, taking back our stories and sharing it in, in the position and place that we want to share it. So I want to thank you for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at otherwise underscore show for updates, workshops and opportunities. Thank you to our partners, Ruben Rouge Foundation, Confident Camel, Breath and Poetry, Alberta Podcast Network, and Music by Kaz Mega. Keep in mind, how we share stories is as important as who shares them. And in my language, Otabo means goodbye.